0: See if I can remember how to do this it 's been a while since I have uh, stood here in uh, this pulpit, and uh, I appreciate your patience, as I said earlier uh, with me uh, and uh, the encouragement that you all have been, especially I uh, give thanks to the session uh, as they sort of interceded uh, here in the past uh, few weeks and I mean, I actually intended to be back uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, they met with me and encouraged me to go ahead and take uh, a couple more weeks to uh, recover and recuperate, and and, uh, I'm thankful that they did. I'm very thankful for uh, those words of wisdom to me. As we uh, begin here Over the past uh, few weeks, I've had a little time uh, to think about where we have been and uh, where we are going uh, through our morning worship and the ministry here that God has called us to at Windale Presbyterian Church. It's hard to believe uh, that I've been doing this, not here for 28 years, but I've been preaching now uh, for 28 years. And over those 28 years, as I have been preaching and ministering to uh, churches God has placed under my care, uh, it's been my custom to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament uh, preaching series, uh, attempting to feed God's uh, people a well-rounded diet of the Word of God. Over the past seven years here, it's hard to believe, too, that it has been seven years this coming March that I would have been here. Um, We've heard from Malachi and 1 John. Uh, We've heard from Joshua and 1 Corinthians. Ezekiel, many of you probably remember that series. And Ephesians. It's alternated Old Testament and New Testament. Well, it's time for Old Testament once again. I thought maybe doing Joel, uh, the minor prophet just before Amos that Matthew has been preaching through. And it struck me that there's one book in all of our Bibles that blends the two. Old Testament and New Testament in one book. And that is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews contains 35 direct quotations from the Old Testament along with many allusions, references to the Old Testament. With the Old Testament background in mind, the author... Argues that God's glory and His redemptive plan for His people is finally and most clearly revealed in His final word, and that is in Jesus Christ. Most sermons we are taught to prepare in seminary and homiletics class. I've been reminded just recently listening to our resident uh, seminary student, Are designed to be presented in a reasonable amount of time, that is 30, 45 minutes, I mean, depending on what the congregation will tolerate. uh, The sermons have a homiletical idea, that is a big idea, a theme, if you will. That is the theme of the sermon, based on the Word of God and has a Christocentric, that is, a Christ centered focus is presented in an expository way. That is, verse by verse, we go through and exposit the Word of God with some sort of application directed to those who listen, those who hear. Many of our English Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you today, and you look at Hebrews, begin the section, the letter to the Hebrews. Now, that is not in the Greek text, in the Greek manuscripts. That is simply placed there as a divider by our translators. But many consider it a letter, an epistle to the Hebrews. But let me propose to you this. What some consider a letter is, in fact, a sermon. The entire book of Hebrews is one sermon. Encouraging us to keep our eyes focused upon the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So as we begin this one sermon, turn with me if you have your scriptures to Hebrews 1. Beginning in verse 1 and reading the first four verses. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. The grass withers, the flowers, they fade and they fall. But the words, these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, as we enter into your throne room even now, May we hear the sound of your voice. May this sermon and these words be your voice speaking to all of us. This day, this time, this moment, for this very age that we live in. We're thankful, Lord, that you have spoken to us in a final way through the one who is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And pray that we will hear you as we listen attentively. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, our Bibles, our English Bibles, contain 66 what we call books. All of those books have uh, a different type of uh, classification of literature. We call those genres of literature. There is uh, history. Uh, There is narrative. That is, the telling of stories, if you will. There is poetry. Some would say that parts of poetry contain wisdom literature, as we read Solomon. There's apocalyptic writing. We think of Daniel, the latter part of Daniel, and Revelation in particular There are letters that are epistles that are personal uh, correspondence to groups of people from specific people. There are major and minor prophets who deliver what we might call sermons to God's people. A good question to ask is, what is a sermon? What is it that we listen to on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, as we come in here, and the culmination of our worship service is what we call a sermon. Some would say it is a long, tedious piece of admonition or reproof for God's people, a lecture, if you will, given by a preacher, one called to preach. Sermons Uh, by definition, address a scriptural, theological, a moral topic, usually expounding on a belief, a doctrine, a law, behavior within both past and present context. Elements of sermon often include exposition, exhortation, admonition, and practical application the act of delivering a sermon is called preaching. Well, what we have before us here in the book of Hebrews is a sermon, as I said, not a letter. Hebrews is a letter only in the sense that it was written down and sent from one place to another And has a few greetings stuck on the end of it in chapter 13. But in every other way, I would propose to you that the book of Hebrews is essentially a sermon. The author even calls his letter in chapter 13, verse 22, a word of exhortation. Sounds like a sermon to me. Most of my sermons are right around uh, Matthew and I were talking about this this past week 2,500 to uh, 3,000 words maybe a little bit longer and take, give or take 30 to 40 minutes to deliver. If you sat down and read Hebrews aloud and I encourage you to do that over the next few weeks you read all 4,953 words in the Greek, a little more than 7,000 words in the New American Standard translation. You could probably do that in about an hour. Just sit down and read. Don't pause, just read. In other words, this is a sermon, Hebrews is a sermon of really no great length such a sermon in length as might be preached today in God's churches. We're going to notice as we move through the book of Hebrews, this sermon of Hebrews, that over and over again the uh, author refers to his speech, his talking, not his writing, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, if you have your Bibles with you and you uh, look at that, it says, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. Hebrews 5.11 uses some of the same terms. We have much the author has to say about this. The author thinks of himself as speaking to his audience, as delivering a word of exhortation, a sermon. And he is not, although he does write it down, he is not writing a letter to them as the Apostle Paul might write letters. But Hebrews is also a sermon because of the the nature of it, it's an argument based on the exposition of the Scriptures. The Old Testament intertwined with the New. It combines the Old and New Testament thoughts and words. And as we move through this book of Hebrews, we are going to find that we uh, are in the presence of a really good sermon. References to Scripture, the exposition of the Word, the application drawn to uh, the listeners, the Word directed to the life of God's people. And isn't that what a sermon is? But we have to keep in mind too that a sermon has one theme, one homiletical idea, one big idea if you will, you don't have to figure out what this author is talking about because he talks about it over and over and over again. One thing and one thing only from the beginning of the end and even to the end of the sermon. Hebrews is a sermon about this, about the absolute necessity of persevering faith. Faith in the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. The preacher is telling his congregation, this congregation that is not enough just to begin the Christian walk, the, the, the race he calls it, the pilgrimage of our Christian lives, the race that is set before us, one must continue that race until that race is finished and persevere to the end as a faithful and true Christian and believer. This brings up the whole idea of the perseverance of the saints, which if you're familiar with the five points of Calvin, that is the last point. The P of the tulip. Perseverance of the saints. God preserves those He calls. But those He calls must persevere in their faith to the end. Hebrews competes only, I think, with, uh, with, with Galatians for being the most single-minded book in the New Testament. The author makes so many arguments along the way, uh, but they are all made as he focuses on the one single point That bullseye of the target, the absolute necessity of persevering in our Christian faith and walk. There's a tension, isn't there? In God saving us to the uttermost so that none of us will ever be lost in the end. We can't lose our salvation. There's a tension between God's saving grace and our working out our salvation with fear and trembling. God saves those He calls to the uttermost, but He expects those He calls and saves to the uttermost to work out their salvation. Not simply to sit and be inactive, but to be involved, participating in the means of grace. And here is that tension throughout all of Hebrews, which I think is sometimes makes it difficult to, uh, to hear and difficult maybe to comprehend. The writer is speaking to believers who are Jewish by heritage, by nationality, but Christian by faith. And he's speaking to them, some of which have fallen back upon their old roots and their old habits and and practices and have left the faith that they have professed. He's warning the congregation, the church, not to fall away from what they have been called. That is to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. One of those places of tension is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, where he says, how will we escape if we neglect? See, we have to pay attention to it. We have to attend to these means of grace that God has given to us, so great a salvation. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. He says in chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that does what? Falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers in Christ conditionally. If. And there's that tension. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, who is it that wins the race? The one that finishes the race. Who is it that receives the crown of glory? The one who enters into that final presence of God. It's a faithful and true servant of Him. So he says here, while today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. See, we'll more easily find our way through Hebrews. In any part of this argument, of this sermon, if we remember what... the main point is that the the writer is making and why he writes this sermon is to persuade these Christians that they must not wander from the faith but must remain faithful to the end. In fact, if we find in Hebrews what we find is repeated alternation between Scripture and doctrine. Between Scriptural Uh, reminding what God has said and doctrinal exposition and its application to this question of the reader's perseverance. Often when we think of doctrine and admit it now, when I said that word doctrine, you, you sort of bristled a little bit because we don't like to hear doctrine, do we? And yet, Doctrine is God's teaching that we have in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. When we think of doctrine, we often think we are dealing with something that is directed only to the mind. Deep intellectual thinking, some of which only seminary professors and RTS students delve into. But the practice of our faith must be based on the truth of our faith, and that is the doctrine of our faith. Because right doctrine leads to right practice and right living by God's grace. So, this sermon is in the end something that is very practical and not simply hypothetical. Hebrews is preached with great intensity If we could hear the one who delivered this message to the first congregation that he delivered it to, it's preached with intensity to a community of Jewish Christians who are in real danger of falling behind in their faith. Falling away from that faith. These people had become Christians in the midst of a community that was hostile to Christianity. Sounds a little bit like what's going on today, doesn't it? They had suffered persecution for their new faith, but had stood firm. Now we really haven't suffered persecution for our faith as yet. But I believe those days and those times many of us will see are coming. As time has passed, These Christians were finding it more and more difficult to stay the course, to persevere in their faith. A constant opposition from their home communities, their Jewish communities, was wearing down on them and they were being tempted to return to the old traditions, the comfortable security of the old ways. What made matters worse, apparently, was the fact that some of these Jewish Christians had already gone back And left what they had professed as their faith. But was not a true faith after all. John speaks of this sort of falling away when he speaks of the sin unto death. By which he also means falling away. That word... Falling away, you'll probably hear me say, is apostasy. The conscience, intentional forsaking of the faith that has been professed. The rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit and the rejection of that gospel by one who has claimed to believe it, who may even be sitting in a congregation just like this today, who was taken to be a member of the Christian church, who had made vows before accession to that church to uphold the worship and work of the church to the best of their ability, and now they deny their faith. It's clear that Hebrews was written to address that spiritual crisis. You see, the book of Hebrews, the sermon, is not simply a doctrinal discourse. It's a desperate appeal to stay the course. And any of us can get off track at any time and in various ways. This seems so relevant for us today. We do know that This was written to encourage believers of all ages to persevere in their salvation. We don't know exactly who wrote it. Some say the Apostle Paul wrote it. I think there are some reasons that we can say the Apostle Paul did not write it. Others say Apollos may have written this. But in the end, we don't really know who wrote this sermon. We do know it was written to encourage the listeners, you and me, believers of all ages, to persevere in our salvation because our salvation is one of persevering. The last 12 months have been difficult, haven't they? It seems hard to believe. But it was almost a year ago, come this March, that we had hints of the effects of COVID-19. We've spent the last 12 months um, staying safe at home, wearing face coverings, persevering in our faith persevering in what God has called us to do. You know, and once we persevere through those things, it feels good to to get those things done and out of the way, doesn't it? And to, to look forward to that time when we will be able to gather back together in various times and different ways as God's people but to put all this behind us and to move forward as we persevere. It's good to get something over and done with. I've been working on my taxes just recently. I'm not done yet, but I know because I do this every year, when I finally get those taxes done and off to the IRS in the mail or electronically within... The first 10 minutes of me sending them off, I'm thinking, I'm going to get audited. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you laugh, but pastors, we're top on the audit list, and I've been audited three times. Not because I did anything wrong, but just because I'm in the red zone. Isn't it wonderful to come to, to, to Christ and to know that our sins are forgiven? But then too many times, as we persevere in our faith and our walk, things go wrong. We are bombarded on so many different levels with temptation to grumble and to complain to find fault. And we wonder, is the Lord really listening? Why are we going through all this? You faithfully come to worship and submit yourself to listening to a sermon and wonder, sometimes admit it, what was that all about? You You pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you begin to think, Lord, are you even there listening to me? Our lives lived out as Christians are difficult at times, aren't they? And it's okay to admit that. Many in the Old Testament did. Many writer of the Psalms admitted that they were being bombarded by the enemy on many different fronts. And it seemed like God was paying more attention to them than to Him. He tells us that we're here to run a race with weary knees and drooping hands. Look at Hebrews 12.12 if you don't believe that. He doesn't mean we're going to run the 50-yard dash, start it and be done with it and it's over. Even a marathon is only three hours. But this race that we are called to run Through the straight and narrow path we're on just keeps seem to getting steeper and steeper. It's like running up uh, Pikes Peak. Run the incline up Pikes Peak. And if you've ever been out there and you've seen those steps, someone has has built an an incline where the cog railroad goes up right next to that. And people run it, jog up it every day. We stagger up Heartbreak Hill straight up in front of us is Peril Peak and just behind we see Agony Alp filling up the sky. It's all around us. The world even watches us and smirks at the truth that we hold to that nothing will ever change and that we're fools to even believe this word of God. Maybe you can even remember when temptation wasn't so blatant. But now it's just a finger touch away on a computer, on the remote, and it's getting worse. We live in a world where we are bombarded with tribulation and trouble on every side. Jesus said that in John 16. He said in Mark 13, verse 19 and 20, There will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would have survived. And what we can see is nothing compared to what's actually out there. Sometimes we look at only the physical. Our struggle... Paul said in Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realm. We're actually fighting against Satan. The liar. And you know what? He's hungry for your soul. It doesn't just happen that we're hemmed in by groaning and complaining. It doesn't just happen that we feel sometimes like quitting. And often in the past six weeks, I thought, am I going to get through this? There have been times when you have thought the same thing about situations particular to yourselves, and when you're already confused about what to do and what to think and what to do, Satan is right there spitting lies back at you. When you're already in deep trouble because of old sinful habits, he tells you, Jesus doesn't really care. He really doesn't love you. It isn't easy to walk in faith, is it, when life is hard. The Bible is full of people who said to the Lord, why am I hurting when the wrong people around me are all at least seem to be doing just fine? You start reacting like that, There is one little chink in the armor of our salvation and our persevering faith that the enemy will attack. Malachi knew people like that. He said, it is futile to serve God, these people were saying. What did we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Look at Malachi 3:14 and 15. I have said before, ideas have consequences. Those ideas we embed in our head and we think about actually end up working out in our hands and our lives and our actions. What these people thought they acted upon and Malachi's time. They thought sacrificing to the Lord was a burden. So they brought Him the leftovers of the herd and held back the first fruits of their tithes and offerings. Because what did it matter after all? Ideas have consequences. You see, we need to be realistic. We do see the things in the physical realm around us at hand. We need to see more than the, the physical dangers ahead. We need to see a Lord... Our God, our Savior Jesus Christ, protecting us, having gone before us through those dangers. There's an account in 2 Kings chapter 6 of Elisha. His servant was terrified by the enemy army all around them, physically, what he could see. But then the Lord answered Elisha's prayer and opened his servant's eyes. And what did he see? He saw. Who was really all around him? It was the Lord with His chariots of fire. He learned that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Do you see, much more than that as we... Have a realistic view of our persevering salvation. You see the one who is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus. He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. He finished and completed our salvation He laid down His life for His sheep, for you, for me, to give us eternal life. And as He said, so that they shall never perish, no one can snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me, He said, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of My Father's hand. And He prays for you. He prays for us. For those He has called sons and daughters. He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of Your name, the name that You gave Me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that You gave Me. He prays for us right now at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is. Living the lives we lived tempted in every way that we were tempted, yet without sin. Dying our death. Being raised from that black and lonely tomb. Ascended and seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, interceding for us. He knows how hard it is for faithful, persevering Christians to obey and to be faithful. He knows what to ask for, for you and for me. It is the Father who hears His prayers as we lift them up to Him so that He can say to us, don't be weary in well-doing. Our calling from the Lord for the rest of our lives is to persevere in our faith, faithful to the end, And you know what? That's a hard calling. It's a difficult one. Admittedly, we're going to be stretched to our limits. You think we were stretched in the past? There could be times of stretching beyond what we feel like we could be stretched tomorrow with our strength with our stamina, with our courage, and even beyond. But you know what? We will never be stretched beyond the reach of God's eternal love for us. For the ones He has called through His final word. Summed up in that one word. Jesus Christ. As we close here today, let me remind us of these words in chapter 12. Words that we will go back to again and again as we consider this sermon of Hebrews. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christian, Persevere in your faith. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Lord, we do pray that as we conclude this time here, this day, that we would each individually and collectively look forward to gathering around this sermon of Hebrews as we are encouraged, each and every one, to finish the race that is set before us and to finish it well through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.